First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. <clears throat> the first reading is from the New Testament, letter of James, chapter 2, verse 14. What is it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has not works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And the second reading is from Across That Bridge, Life Lessons and a Vision for Change by the late congressman and civil rights leader, John Lewis. Freedom is not a state. It is an act. It is not some enchanted garden perched high on a distant plateau where we can finally sit down and rest. Freedom is the continuous action we all must take and each generation must do its part to create an even more fair, more just society. The Cambridge Dictionary defines justice in part as fairness in the way people are dealt with. Now, it strikes me that I have been far more impacted in my life when I have seen people being treated unjustly, being treated unfairly, as opposed to seeing people being treated fairly and justly. And that makes sense. It is the car accident that draws your attention, not the good, safe driver in the next lane. I found that, for me, memories can get fuzzy over the years, but I have a few memories of things I've seen or witnessed that are so ingrained that when I think of them, I still feel a twinge of the anxiety I felt when I first experienced them. The first came when I was about five years old, and that's getting to be a pretty long time ago now, 1961. I was with my dad at a car repair shop in my hometown. I was looking out the front window of the shop when I heard a police car siren and saw it moving fast toward the shop. It pulled up in front. Two officers stepped out. I watched them grab an older man who was sort of stumbling. They put him in cuffs. One of the officers slammed the man's head into the police car above the rear door before shoving him into the back seat. To me, it looked to have been intentional and totally unnecessary. I felt horrible for that man. My dad told me the man was a drunk. Seeing this made me afraid of the police. Some years later, I was in junior high, seventh grade, 1969. All the social studies classes in seventh grade were gathered in the auditorium to watch a film about the civil rights movement. Apparently, this was a documentary created by either CBS or NBC. I'd been a little too young back in the mid-60s to have known about or understood the events of that time, but it hit home when I saw that film. I was sickened to see Birmingham, Alabama, Police Commissioner Bull Connor using attack dogs on fellow Americans. 
watching Connor's men turn fire hoses on kids my age and on others as well, driving them onto the ground or against buildings, was horrific. Seeing this stunned and shocked me. I couldn't believe this had happened in America, not, not in America I knew about. Experience such as these, such as these, and, and coming of age during the unjust Vietnam War and Watergate led to a young adult, Bill Brock, who wanted to do more for our world than just make money after college. I enrolled in the University of Iowa Law School in 1984 to be able to do more to make a difference. I met my wife, Karen, while I was in law school and began joining her at services put on by the U of I Episcopal chaplain, Ron Osborne. The first time I attended, Iowa Episcopal Bishop Walter Ryder gave the sermon. This was in 1986, in the midst of the farm crisis. His entire message that day was about how small and medium farmers and their families were being taken advantage of by big agricultural corporations. I told Karen after church that his message was far different from what I heard growing up in a fundamentalist Christian church where the focus was on personal salvation. Here was a religious leader calling out corporate America for taking advantage of folks, and it really resonated with me. It also kept me regularly going to church, something I hadn't done since I was a child. What Bishop Ryder said that day showed me, in contemporary, human terms, the strong connection between faith and justice, and that religious faith could be a means to seeking justice, something I don't think I fully grasped until then. Now, though the Bible contains all sorts of wild stories, some of it really hit home in my years delving more deeply into the faith. The letter of James is just so clear and unequivocal. You can say you are faithful until you're blue in the face. The true test of whether you live your faith is in what you do for others. And I was so taken by this language that Karen and I agreed we would have made James Rachel's middle name had she been a boy. Congressman John Lewis was truly a faithful man. He took more than his share of blows during the civil rights marches and protests featured in that film. He was so right in noting that freedom is so much more than a word some Americans shout as they pound their chests. Rather, it is an opportunity to do what we can to make life better, and not just for ourselves, but for others. It is an ongoing obligation. To me, every time a bell rings, it's not an angel getting wings. It's a symbol of a mantra for justice. One ring. More just. One ring. A second one. More fair. One ring more just. A second ring more fair. On and on and on. Now, the second UU principle focuses on justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Ignoring injustice, assuming it will always exist, and that therefore there is no value in fighting for a more just world goes against the core of that principle, and it goes against everything I believe. I don't believe that we exist for the purpose of fulfilling the goals of some benevolent super being. We are here 
by the forces of nature. And we will leave here by the forces of nature. But I believe with all my heart that while we are here, we should do everything we can to make life better for those who share our world. Ultimately, we all seek happiness, serenity, and fulfillment. What can be more fulfilling than doing something to make someone else's life a little easier, making it a little more likely that they too will live a life of happiness, serenity, and fulfillment? For me, treating others justly cannot be separated from my faith any more than the sun can be separated from our solar system. One doesn't exist without the other. The next reading is from A Bold Vision Forward by Stephen John Quay and colleagues. As we envision the processes of racial justice and decolonization, it is clear that love is at the core of all we do. For many, love is often conceptualized in its amorous form, one that is contained and operates between romantic and familial relationships. Love can also exist between and among friends, extended family, kinship networks, and other forms of relationships. Love ultimately requires discipline, concentration, patience, faith, and the overcoming of narcissism. It isn't a feeling, it is a practice, said Eric Fromm. Love has a way of being. It is the sincere wish that another person has what they need to be whole and develop themselves to their best capacity for joy or whatever fulfillment they are seeking. We must not only resent and be angered at injustice, we must simultaneously be in love with justice and we must love each other. If our desires for racial justice and decolonization are rooted solely in anger, we will exhaust ourselves before we reach a vision for a better world. While anger is a valid emotion, if our moves toward justice are solely rooted in it, we lose the potential to deal with the hurt, fear, rejection, humiliation, loss, disappointment, and other emotions that undergird it, thereby missing an opportunity for generative healing. To be clear, love is not antithetical to anger. Love simultaneously can be gentle and fierce, where we are concerned for each other and yet accountable for our actions. Practicing love means investing in others whether that investment shows up as support or challenge. Choosing to act through an ethos of love is an act of bravery and boldness because, says Friere, love is an act of courage, not of fear. Love is a commitment to others. I excerpted this reading from a monograph published by a National Higher Education Student Affairs Professional Association. This monograph provided a framework for association members and campuses to consider ways the association to actualize the association's call to center racial justice and decolonization in our work. 
This was not the first time I had thought about the ways in which this association, where I have found my professional home for more than 40 years, mirrored Unitarian Universalism, my spiritual home for almost as long. Both hold a deep commitment to lifting up the inherent worth and dignity of all, and both have a long history of working actively in the areas of equity and social justice. So I was not surprised to find myself thinking beyond the campus when I first read this piece. I find the author's call to frame our justice-making work as an act of love to be extremely powerful. As they suggest, acting out of a place of anger can be, while just, exhausting and demoralizing. If I'm acting out of anger, then what I see as your unjust behavior makes you unworthy of my care or concern. An attitude which is diametrically in opposition to that recognition of universal worth, which I just mentioned. It also perpetuates the polarization and demonizing of those with whom we disagree, something I believe to be one of the greatest diseases facing our present society. And it also makes me feel tighter, somehow smaller, a stance which will continuously shrink my spirit. Acting from a place of love, on the other hand, feels deeply compassionate and expansive. It helps me to not dehumanize the person or system with whom I'm in conflict, even though I might feel that conflict intensely. It reminds me there is another human worthy of care on the other side of the equation. It reminds me that we are all interconnected and it grows my heart and spirit. In this way, the linking of love and justice reminds me as well of the universalist part of our UU tradition. While the humanist principles of Unitarianism resonate with my brain, it is a universalist belief that we are all worthy of salvation, of love, which resounds in my heart. And just as Unitarian Universalism offers us both sets of truths, the sum of which is greater than their two parts, I also see the strength of righteous anger leading us to seek change in and through love. That message not only resonates with my UU principles, but also echoes other great spiritual and social leaders. Among the words of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., which are most frequently quoted, was his statement that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That statement touches on King's core belief in God's love for all, from which flowed his own belief that we are all inherently worthy of that love. That foundation of love did not nullify his righteous anger over segregation, an unjust war, or economic inequality. Rather, those beliefs allowed him to bind together the energy which righteous anger provides with the compassion of love 
and understanding that ultimately light will drive out darkness. In her service this past summer, Sally Buckholt spoke of her journey with Unitarian Universalism, helping her to grow a bigger heart. Unlike a heart which is constricting in anger, love intrinsically enables our hearts to continue to expand. We can use our big open hearts to demonstrate that practicing love means investing in others. Choosing to act through an ethos of love is an act of bravery and boldness. In our desire for justice, my wish for us is that we too grow our hearts big enough to encompass all and channel that love to drive out hate. The reading I've chosen is Choose to Bless the World by Rebecca Parker. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting, any of these can serve to feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, do the work of justice, or offer love. Any of these can draw down the prison door, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice, or withhold love. You must answer this question, what will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that that, that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and this rage. The choice to bless the world can take you into solitude, to search for the sources of power and grace, native wisdom, healing, and liberation. More, the choice will draw you into community, the endeavor shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith, the life of ritual and praise, the comfort of human friendship, the company of earth, the chorus of life welcoming you. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. If you take a look at the justice and inclusion drop-down menu on the UUA website, you'll see a plethora of worthy causes. Disability and accessibility, economic justice, climate and environmental justice, immigration, international justice, LGBTQ plus welcome and equality, anti-racism and multiculturalism, and reproductive justice. 
Where does one even start? Reverend Rebecca Parker implores us to use our gifts, whatever they may be, to bless the world. The text I shared is one that I keep returning to, or maybe it keeps returning to me. It was used as an invocation at a Vesper service I attended during my first week of seminary. I shared it with the celebrant team as we gathered for the first time this church year. I referenced it in a reflection paper I wrote last week, and I share it with you today as we think about the relationship between faith and justice. For me, and I'm willing to bet for many of you, faith and justice are intertwined. I look out at your faces, ones I know very well, and ones I'm seeing for the first time today, and I know that you are here because you care about justice. And I believe our UU faith blesses the world. And through our faith, we bless the world with acts of justice. While there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, Parker says, there moves a holy disturb disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting, that which is sacred will not be defiled. What holy disturbance moves in you? What stirs, stirs a benevolent rage in you? What moves you to act against injustice? What inspires you toward revolutionary love, toward protest, toward protecting what is sacred and sanctified to you? The communities I'm accountable to inspire me. My lived experiences of injustice and injustices I've observed inspire me. The first, second, the first, second, and seventh UU principles in conjunction with each other, a holy trinity, if you will, inspire me. Reverend Emily Gage describes those three principles working relationship this way. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations points us towards something beyond inherent worth and dignity. It points us to the larger community. It gets at collective responsibility. It reminds us that treating people as human beings is not simply something we do one-on-one, -on -one, but something that has systemic implications and can inform our entire cultural way of being. Compassion is something that we can easily act out individually. We can demonstrate openness, give people respect, and treat people with kindness on our own. But we need one another to achieve equity and justice. Justice, equity, and compassion are all part of the same package. Just as the second principle overlaps with the first, so it is related to the seventh principle the interdependent web of all existence. Remember that long list of, uh, that I rattled off earlier from the UUA website? Perhaps one or several of those topics spoke to you. Maybe you're already doing work on them, or maybe you're curious to learn more about something you're unfamiliar with. There are so many injustices in this world, it can feel tempting to try to fix all of them everything, everywhere, all at once. Well, let's zoom in for a moment. Let me ask you this, and I'm asking myself too. When was the last time you served justly within our congregation, our itty-bitty inter interdependent web within the larger web? 
not just through your pledges or donations or words, but through your actions. When was the last time you volunteered for caring ministry, cleared the sidewalk so our building is accessible to everyone, helped out with the Trans Lives Festival, or spoke to a young member of our congregation about what matters to them and their concerns for the injustices they may well inherit from us? When was the last time you did it when no one was looking? Beloveds, justice starts right where our faith starts, here, in this community of accountability. Justice is about how we show up for each other. Justice is about how we bless each other. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and for this rage. How will you bless this world?